Good morning. <clears throat> uh, I guess a few of you guys are just now finding out that I'm preaching this morning. Um, I like to believe Alex um, intentionally did not tell you guys so that you guys wouldn't um, run from the service this morning. Um, I do always um, thank God for this opportunity. Um, it's a humbling experience for God to ask a, um, a sinful creature to stand before other sinful creatures and tell them about the good news. Um, or as many people have put it, um, I have the opportunity as a beggar to tell other beggars where I get my bread from. Um, so it's always a great honor to be able to be a servant of the Almighty God. <clears throat> um, I thank Alex for this opportunity. Um, I love it when he asks me or um, I guess technically he tells me to preach. He's my boss. So I really can't say no to Alex on that. But I thank him whenever he gives me the opportunity because, um, first of all, I do see he needs rest. I don't know if many of you guys um, noticed that throughout um, the year, but he, he, he works so hard. And so I often like, man, you need a break. You need a day off. And he say, no, I'm going to push it to this week. And so um, I'm grateful when he not only takes a break, but offers offer me the opportunity to preach for you guys. I thank Mary Ann and uh, Richard and Melissa and Chris for helping me out with the order of worship today. Um, I don't usually praise certain people, um, but I, I want to do a few people. And I know all you guys say I got good in me as well. But let me talk about a couple of people and then I get started. Um, it won't be long. I just I want to thank um, Owen and his family um, for for the light they are to this community. And, and I, I won't brag on all the stuff he does, uh, that he do or does, yes, does. But um, I usually brag about him to people that don't know him because I know how humble of a man he is. Except for on the basketball court, he can get very prideful. Um, <laughs> and so if we have any prayer requests for Owen, that would be one of the things we can lift up to God. But thank, thank you, Owen, for coming um, here today. Um, I want to thank Pat. Um, more for the great work he does. He, he volunteers his time, gas, and equipment to um, keep the church looking great. Um, and he, somebody called him a superhero. I think it was Katie called him a superhero as he helps the ladies up the steps every um, Sunday. And so I want to thank him for the example. And um, this, this is something um, that I really want to thank is Randall. Randall um, does an amazing job. Um, I don't know if you guys really know, but he, throughout the week, throughout the month, and throughout this year, he works hard to keep this church looking good, to keep um, critters, I don't want people that don't visit us, critters out, and, and he, he fixes stuff, and he gets people together to come and help um, work on the church. So, Randall, thank you so much for the service you've given us here at the Village Church. All right, with that said, um, let me read our um, subject, or uh, the focus is going to come from Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And it, it, the, the real focus is going to be, Hosea. Now, this might be a weird summary for, for most of you guys because I don't know if I got like three points and I'm going to probably be here and then I'm going to be there, but it's going to be all like focus on one thing. Um, but this, this main scripture that I'm going to use to focus on is Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Um, and I will use Hosea to back me up on my uh, proposition here. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says this. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's coming from Romans chapter 2, verse 4. 
uh, I would use for a thought provoker, a, a main subject, the response to kindness, the response to kindness. Hey, let's pray. Um, Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, I understand that your people will um, see me as I stand before them, and I pray, Lord, that when they see me, that uh, I do and say the things needed to point the attention away from me, but to you, that you may receive all the glory and honor. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, and even though um, I've fallen short throughout this day, this week, this year, Lord, you continue to offer me um, the opportunity to speak your word. Thank you for your kindness that you've shown to me. Father, I pray as I, as I preach um, that you will open each of our hearts and minds to the reality that you consistently love us, that you consistently show grace and mercy to us. Remind us that this grace, this mercy, this kindness is supposed to lead us to repentance. In Christ's name, amen. I, I wonder, as I was writing this, I was really wondering, do we really know the magnitude of kindness? This word is attributed to God, and it's one of his many attributes that we are supposed to have and possess ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, when um, Paul writes down the fruit of the Spirit. Do we really know, though, what kindness is? Because of our sinful nature, we have the tendency to show kindness inconsistently. And when we do show it, it because of our sinful nature, we often do so in a manner that is not proper. The, 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 the saying says this, be kinder than necessary. Do we really know what kindness is? I have, a, I have a close friend. And my friend was arrested in Thailand and faced sentences. At first, um, the first sentence was decapitation by head. But then it was reduced to life in prison. Can anybody imagine that? Having to spend the rest of your life in a foreign land's prison being told that you will never see your family again on American soil. My friend at this time was a mother, a wife, and a daughter, and of course many other things. And she used to never be able to embrace anyone else on American soil again. After years of serving in Ty's prison and after years of her writing letters after letters after letters trying to get someone to hear her case, she was eventually excused and forgiven of her crime in Thailand. And she was able to return home to America to feel the warm embrace of her children, her mother, family, and friends. That's kindness. That's kindness. But, but that, that's only a physical example of kindness. We, too, had a death penalty of a spiritual sense on our head. We too had a life sentence of eternity in hell hanging over us. And yet we too 
were forgiven and excused of our crimes. What's very impressive to me is that not only is my friend uh, back in America, but she gets to ride with me every morning on my way to school because she too goes to seminary working on her Master's of Divinity. That's amazing. But what's amazing to me is that not only were you all excused from your crimes against God, but you are allowed to come here and sit on the pews and chairs of the village church. And not only that, but God told the great prophet Isaiah that I have written your name on the palm of my hand. So not only do we get to sit here, but we have guaranteed chairs in the heavenly realm that we will one day sit in. That's kindness. Now, now when, I, when I'm speaking of kindness, I, I'm, I'm talking about a word, a term that, that has been very, very difficult for both Greek and Hebrew scholars to define, to give a re- real meaning to. All right, this, this, this word in the Hebrew, when you're reading the Old Testament, a lot of times uh, the word is hesed. It has a ha sound, but I'm not really Hebrew all the way, so I can't do it. Um, but it's hesed. Hesed, all right? And in the, the New Testament, in the Greek, the, the word is written down as Christotes, or simply Christos. Both of these words translate something along the line of loyal love, uh, great kindness, grace, mercy. Um, loyal love, though, I believe is one of the best ways to describe it, even though it, it still does it injustice. The best synonym that we can find is the word, and my chemist minister, uh, Elbert at Jack State, would, would know this, is the word charis, which means grace or loving kindness. So when I, when I say kindness, I don't want you to just think of, oh, yeah, I gave this bird a piece of bread or, or I hugged my neighbor or I helped this, this child up from the ground. That's not the kind of kindness I'm talking about. And so I'm going to do my best before I uh, start my very short, very, very short homily on uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I'm going to try to make sure that we all really understand what I mean when I say the word kindness. The best example I can think of that we all can relate to in some shape, form, or uh, fashion is marriage. Now, I am not married, so um, I will have to echo uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, before he was married, when he said, I can only speak of this at second hand. But I have learned from honest people that marriage is hard. That marriage is given 100% and expecting 0%. That, that marriage is laying down one's personal preferences for the good of their spouse. And I have learned from our own pastor that marriage, just like many other things, is like a fire. And as he quoted uh, General William Booth, um, the founder of Salvation Army, he says this, It is the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and fed and the ashes removed. And so the best thing, example I can think of when we're looking at kindness on the level of Romans chapter 2, verse 4, is that of a loyal spouse being married to an unloyal spouse. It's the image or the picture, if I can paint it, of of a faithful wife that loves her husband with all of her heart. And for years, he's come in from work without saying, I love you to her. But yet, he comes in. And there's a warm meal on the table for him. He comes in, and, and after he gets finished eating, the bath water is already ran. And once he gets his uh, sleepwear on, she gives him a kiss of goodnight. 
She knows that he's flirting with other women, but she still loves him. She knows that he's spending money in places he ought not spend his money, but she still is faithful to him. This is the image, and this is the best example I can think of when it comes to kindness. Now, some of you guys, after me telling that, you're like, Lyle was right. He's not married because I can't do that to my spouse. Yeah. But, but if you're thinking that right now, I believe you're really missing the point and the picture I'm trying to paint here. She has been so kind to him, and she has loved him with such amazing loyalty that it ought to lead the husband to the point where he says this, my wife is too good to me. I have to ask for forgiveness. I must turn from my disgraceful actions and love her and her alone with my money, with my time, words, action, and mind. This is what her actions ought to do. That's what God does to us. God does this, and he, he, he wants us to personally feel and understand what it means to be kind to someone, to be loyal to someone that doesn't care about you through the prophet Hosea. And so as I, as I look at Hosea, um, the word hesed, remember what that word means, anybody? Kindness is in the Old Testament. It's mentioned six times in the book of Hosea. Five times it is in reference to God. Uh, chapter 2, verse 19, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 6, chapter 10, verse 12, and chapter 12, verse 6 are all translated in reference to God as a love that is steadfast. Now, there's only one other time that's mentioned, and that's in reference to Israel's or man or human beings' hesed. And this is how it's translated. A love that is like a morning cloud. A dew that goes away early in the morning. It's man's hesed. It, it, it rarely shows up, and when it does, it's not there for long. And it's not that good when it shows up. So we see already a descriptive comparison of man's hesed and God's hesed, kindness and God's kindness. We see God's kindness reflected in the book of Hosea. This is the story, as many of you would call it, the story of the prophet and the prostitute, um, the, the herald and the harlot, the um, clergy and the cheater. And God tells Hosea, he tells something that, that to many of you would sound hard, but this is actually pretty easy. He tells him to marry a prostitute and have children with her. And I'm going to tell you why that's actually the easier part of what Joe, uh, Hosea has to do. He tells him to marry a prostitute, a woman, take a wife of whoredom, and have children by her. And so he finds Gomer, and he marries her. And he uh, has children by her. And the first child they named Jezreel. And this is the reason God told, uh, named him Jezreel. He said, because I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. Then he has a second child. It's a female, and he names her this. Uh, he names her Lo Ruhamah, which means this, no mercy. We'll call her no mercy, all right? And God says, we're going to call her no mercy because I will not have mercy on Israel. And then he has another child, and her name, his name is Lohami, which means this, not my people. So we're going to name, call him not my people. We're not Hebrew, we're English, so we're going to call him what his name is. <laughs> not my people. 
And so God, I think that's pretty self-explanatory, right? God is basically saying to Israel, you're not going to be my people, and you won't be able to call me your God. Now, even though hesed, kindness, is only mentioned, steadfast love is only mentioned five times in reference to God and Hosea, Hosea is saturated with it. And this is, this is one reason I can, I can prove this. In chapter 1, he gives these children the name so, that, so they can be in comparison to Israel. And he talks about how he's going to punish Israel. In the very next chapter, God, in chapter 2, verse 23, says this. I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will call, I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he will say to me, you are my God. That's kindness. And so, even though that, that paints a good picture, of uh, kindness, it all it really does is it gives us a title or a name of a relationship. Chapter one does in Hosea. That's all it does. And the name of this relationship is a loyal, faithful spouse being married to a prostitute. That's what we are compared to God. But chapter three, which Melissa read, gives us the action, gives us what goes on during this relationship. And so in chapter three. This is when it gets hard. God tells Hosea, look, you were married to her, and at this time, she's not with him. She's not living with him. She's out making her business. And God tells Hosea, in chapter 3, verse 1, to love her. Now, that's when it gets hard for Hosea. He can go through the motions of marrying her. A lot of people do nowadays. He can go through the motions and say, I'll do he can go through the motion and have children by her. But now God is saying, I don't want you to just go through the motion. I want you to feel the same thing I feel when it comes to the relationship between me and Israel, between me and the people here in this church today. I want you to feel it, Hosea. And so because of that, I want you to love her. That's really tough. And God, I don't know, I read it and sometimes I get frustrated with him. Because not only he didn't just say go love her, he tried to make it as hard as possible. This is what he says. Go love her that is loved by another man. And then he says this, go love her, the one that's a prostitute. So he is telling Jose to love someone that is loved by someone else and that is loving somebody else. God makes it even harder. And so Hosea now has to love someone that does not love him back. And he has to remain faithful to someone that has been unfaithful to him. So he is no longer just married to Gomer. He now loves her. Now, love is something that's hard to hide. Am I, am I correct a little bit? It's hard to hide. Whether it's a, a child to a mother or vice versa, whether it's a sibling relationship, whether it's a marriage, you can be mad, you can try to ignore the person, but if you really love them, it's hard to hide it. It'll show up in a way where you may pick up a flower on your way home from work. It, or, or you may say them the last piece of cake that uh, they can have to eat. It could be you buying them an engagement ring. It could be simple as you laughing at a joke that really wasn't that funny. Did y'all just do that? Did y'all just do that to me? Okay. Love is hard to hide. You can try to lock it up. You can try to keep it inside. But it will have its way of expression itself. Why? Because love is known as an action word. It's not just something that I say, but eventually I will see things being done. And so now he is no longer married to her, 
but he is loved. He's in love with her, and he loves him one day, and in no shape, form, or fashion is interested in loving him back. Now, when Melissa read it, how many of you guys read went, read along with her and read verse two and said, "Oh my gosh!" How many of y'all read that? I, I'm pretty sure most, most of y'all either ignore Melissa or overlook that part. I'm gonna go with the latter. I'm gonna be nice to you guys. It, it's 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 pretty upsetting. Um, when I read this, it says this. It says something along the line that Jose is talking to us. He says, I went and bought her back. Or I bought her for her. And he said 15 shackles and other things, right? I have a problem with that. That's crazy. He paid for her. He paid for her. He bought his wife. He paid for something that should have already been his. That, that If anyone else would have paid for her, it would have been a fair deal. And I probably wouldn't even look twice at it. But this man, Hosea, goes out, finds his wife, and pays for something that should have already been his. For God so loved the world that he paid for something that should have been his from the very beginning. My brothers and sisters, that's kindness. So I hope I, I, I gave somewhat of a little description of what kindness is. And so when you're looking at Romans chapter 2, verse 4, before that, Paul in chapter 1, at the end of it, argues that there's only one God. And he said he can be clearly revealed through creation because his invisible attributes are shown through it. There's only one God. And then he goes on from that to say, we all know this one God's moral laws. We all know it. That it's not a secret. That, that even if you are an atheist and you can lie to me and tell me, it's okay to steal. But the moment somebody steals from you, what happens? That's wrong. You can lie to everyone you meet, but the moment somebody lies to you, what happens deep inside? That's wrong. And so C.S. Lewis helps us understand this as well, mid-Christianity, by saying that if we believe in this law of nature or this moral law, we must understand that somebody of a higher being placed this law here. Somebody placed it here. So Paul argues there's one guy and that we have upset him. We have broken his creed. We have missed his standards. And we have broken his laws. And so Paul says this. They are without excuse. They are without excuse. Now, I'm not going to try to argue theologically what happens to people that never hear the gospel. I'm not going to try to do that. But um, Paul pretty much tells us that everyone, Bible owner, non-Bible owner, are without excuse. Francis Schaeffer, in his book, The Finished Work of Christ, uh, he echoes Romans chapter 1, and he helps us understand this. He says this. This is uh, concerning people that have never heard the gospel. God is just in judging them, that's people without Bibles, because they have a conscience, Romans chapter 1, verse 19. And being surrounded by the wonders of creation that clearly reveal God, this is verse 20, they have rejected God and his moral law. And yet they judge those who transgress God's law even while doing the same things themselves. 
I can lie, I can lie, I can lie. Don't lie to me. You just broken the moral law that you've set. And so Francis says this. Failure to accept Christ is not the basis on which such people will be judged. They will be judged on the basis of violating their own conscience. Paul says this at the, uh, chapter 1, verse 32 of Romans, and chapter 2 of verse 1. That you, the judge, you condemn others for doing the very same thing that you practice and condone. It, it's, it's weird. He's addressing hypocrisy. And so one thing that we see is that there's one God, and we have offended him, and we have all broken his standards. We have broken his law, his moral law. In the movie Fireproof, I'm going to get ready to get in my acting role. In the movie Fireproof, um, the main character, Caleb Holt, is on day 20 of trying his best to keep his marriage from ending. But it seems like his wife is completely ignoring all of his efforts. And then after he turns down his father's notion that he needs Jesus to help him get through this time, his dad asks him this, Caleb. If I had asked you to, why are you so frustrated with Catherine? What would you say? This is Caleb here. He says, Dad, she's so stubborn. She makes everything difficult for me. She's ungrateful. She's constantly griping about something. And then his dad looks at him and said, has she thanked you for anything you've done these last 20 days? No, Dad. And you think as I wash the car, change the oil, do the dishes, wash the house, that she would try to show me a little bit of gratitude. But she doesn't. In fact, when I come home, she makes me feel like the enemy. I'm not even welcome in my own home. That's what really ticks me off. Dad, for the last three weeks, I have been over backwards. I have tried to demonstrate that I still care about this relationship. I bought her flowers. She threw them away. I have taken her insults and sarcasm. But last night was it. I made her dinner, and I did everything I could to demonstrate I care for her, to show her value, and she spat in my face. She does not deserve this, Dad. I am not doing this anymore. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over who constantly rejects me? His dad does this. He walks to the cross in the yard. He looks at it. He puts his hands on it. He looks back at Kevin and says, that's a good question. Caleb said, Dad, that's, that's not what I'm doing. Is it? No, no, this is not what this is about. He said this, son, you just asked me, how can someone show love over and over again when they're constantly rejected? Caleb, the answer is, you can't love her because you can't give her what you don't have. Son, God loves you even though you don't deserve it. Even though you rejected him, spat in his face, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins because he loved you. This is between you and the Lord. But I love you too much not to tell you the truth. Can't you see that you need him? Can't you see that you need his forgiveness? My brothers and sisters, just as Caleb's wife did to him, we've all done to God. We have, as Paul said it, we presume on the riches of his kindness, basically saying we have taken for granted his kindness. We, we have despised his kindness. We have treated with contempt his kindness. We look down upon his kindness. We've ignorantly disregarded God's kindness. We do not understand true patience. We do not understand it. When, 
just because God doesn't strike us dead after each sin, we think that's a the opportunity to go and sin again. God's kindness is not giving you the doorway to continue sinning. It's supposed to lead you to repentance. The fact of the matter is, my brothers and sisters, that Adam and Eve should have died the moment they bit that fruit. But God's kindness. Adam should have been cursed, not the ground. But God's kindness. Eve should have been cursed, not childbirth. But God's kindness. The children of Israel should have died at the Red Sea for their complaining and unbelief. But God's kindness. David should have died, not his first son. But God's kindness. Saul, when he was persecuting the saints of God, should have lost his life, not just his sight. But God's kindness. And we are all honest with each other. We can, we can all agree that we should have lost our life, our job, our health, our wife. We should have lost so many things in this life. But God's kindness. He, he is so good to us that it leads us to the point that we say, God, you're too good to me. I have to repent. We come to him with our heart greed, our, our brow low, and, and we come crying out, God, this is my last time. I'm, I, I repent. And he looks at us and he says, you're already forgiven. God's kindness is supposed to lead us to repentance. And repentance will lead us to forgiveness. Now, God's kindness leads to repentance, but his forgiveness is supposed to lead to praise. The Bible says this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so that's why David, the same sinner that said, have mercy on me, God, he can also write the psalm that says, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. The same David, that killer, that said, I know my transgressions and sin is ever before me, can say, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. The same adulterer, David, that cried out against you and you only have I sinned, can say, uh, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Oh, bless the Lord, my soul, and all that's within me. God's kindness leads to repentance, and his forgiveness leads to praise. It turns our grief into gratitude. Our repenting turns into rejoicing, and our weeping turns into worship. It, it brings you from the place of, oh, wretched sinner I am, to I am redeemed. There's two responses to kindness, two responses to kindness, repentance or unrepentance. And they both can be seen at the cross. As I see it now, uh, they, they stretched Jesus wide and they nailed his hands and they nailed his feet. And then they raised him high between two thieves. And they both are of equal distance from God, from Jesus who is God. They were both of equal distance. They both see the same thing that the other see. They both hear the same thing that the other hear. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Truly I say unto you, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Mother, behold our son. Uh, behold our mother. I thirst. They both hear the same things. It is finished. Father, I commit my spirit into your hands. They both heard the same thing. The one on the right repented, and he received forgiveness. 
The one that left was unrepentant. And he received judgment. And so what I want to challenge each of you to do is throughout the year 2013, look back over it. And then keep on looking back. And you will come to this conclusion that God each day over and over and over again has showered me with kindness. And that kindness is supposed to lead you to repentance. Because this is, this is why this is so important. When Christ died on the cross, he didn't stay dead. If he stayed dead, he wasn't God. But to prove that he was God and to prove that nothing, not even death, can stop him, he rose from the dead with all power. And he said this on his way home, I'm coming back. The Bible says that there is going to come a day that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for some of us, that's just going to be part of our normal habit anyway. But for others, it's going to be the first time. And for those, it's going to be too late. And so what this kindness is supposed to do, it's supposed to lead us to Christ. And we're supposed to go to God and I ask, if you are not repented, will you go to God and say this? I'm sorry. Because that is the response to kindness. Glory to God.